Welcome to Courageous Conversations with your host, Richard Dolan, a world-renowned speaker, mentor, and coach to many celebrity icons and global thought leaders. Listen as they share their stories and insights about what it takes to lead a courageous life, from overcoming adversity to living with purpose and meaning. Each guest brings a unique perspective that will leave you feeling empowered and motivated to make positive changes in your own life starting today. What's up, everybody? Good afternoon. Richard Dolan here for a courageous conversation. And man, I am stoked to be here right now with you because it's another courageous conversation with the one and only NBA legend and rock star, Carlos Boozer. How are you, sir? Doing well, man. Guys, how y'all doing out there? Everybody doing good? Everyone's doing great, man. They love seeing you. They love knowing you're here. Now, Carlos, I mean, it's so great to see you. Fantastic. You look great. How you feeling? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm actually in Miami as well, downtown. Uh, enjoying it right now. I mean, I don't know where everybody's at. I mean, you guys are spread out around the world. It's about 85 degrees. It's a little windy today for us, but it's really, it's a really nice day out here in Miami. It is. It is. It, I mean, I mean, between the weather, between the weather and that beautiful breeze and the traffic, the traffic I can do without. Don't you say, brother? Traffic is nuts. Everybody's coming down here right now. Everybody's moving. California and New York down to Miami right now. They're driving in for the long weekend, what have you. You know, if you, if you can already be posted up somewhere, you're good to go. Oh, man. I mean, I, I hear you. I got you. And, and I mean, you know, for a lot of people that are watching this, I mean, they're, they're, they're real truly smitten to understand uh, who you are, where you've come from. I mean, a, a man born in Germany, that wouldn't be the most usual place to be called, um, you know, your heritage. Um, but, 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 but really, truly, of all the things you've done, uh, you really, truly are not only one of the, the the top 100 rebounders in the history of the NBA, uh, having been responsible for bringing Duke University's its NCAA championship back in uh, 2001, I believe, and and more importantly, even coming out with some hardware like just a you know uh, an Olympic gold medal and and of course a bronze just to just to boot. And aside from performance and points, man, why don't you just first bring us back? What was it like? being an NBA player and, and, and doing all that you did, brother? Yeah, to be honest, man, it was a dream come true. It was something I worked for my whole life. You know, my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, my whole family was involved in me getting to where I was going. We all made different sacrifices what have you. I would come home from school, uh, maybe like three, four o'clock after school was out, knock my homework out quick because my mom didn't play that. My mom wanted to make sure my homework was done, sealed, you know, A-plus effort. And then I would beg my dad to come take me out to the court and teach me drills. I didn't have to beg him too long because he loved teaching me. Um, but yeah, I would literally, my day was I go to school, I come home from school, I knock out my homework. My dad would take me out to the basketball court and uh, would just grind. And then, you know, you fast forward to the 2022 draft when I heard my name call, I got selected. It feels like a dream come true. Like all the hard work that you put in, all the extra sprints, all the extra shots, it paid off. So um, huge honor. Anytime you get selected to be in, in, in a professional uh, realm, it's a huge honor. Well, listen, man, we, we, we all know that in, in, in time and with age, uh, things like our faculty for precision and patience sometimes wane, but with a beard that well kept from <laughs> one brother to another, man, you still got both. You still got both. Oh, you got a nice beard too. Yeah. You got it really nice. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. Man. Look, I, I know yeah. I got to be in your company. But but listen, man, I mean, I mean, as you know, one of the coolest things that is is really brought us together is the fact that the world is really yearning for some real great, good old fashioned, authentic storytelling about people who once uh, dominated the game, uh, crushed it in some way, shape or form, but then never got stopped by the fact they stopped playing. They continue to live on in a new chapter. So we're going to head that way right now. But but how has the how, before we get there, how has the game changed from your viewpoint? Because you're 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 in the media. You you're doing occasional broadcasting. I mean, I see you courtside. I see you on TV. How would you compare the game today from the game of yesterday? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. You know, when I, I grew up, you know, watching the '90s and watching the Bulls and those battles with the Knicks and and the Detroit Pistons, and then they finally break it through to the championship. Everybody, I'm sure everybody's watched The Last Dance, so they're they're chewing what I'm talking about. Great documentary, by the way. Um, so I grew up watching that style of basketball, very physical. And then when I got to the NBA, um, 2002, again, like I said, early 2000, it was still a very physical game. The game has changed dramatically. When I got in the NBA, it was about, you know, all my homies would call and they would ask me, you know, how many dunks did you have? You know, blah, blah, blah. Now people are asking, you know, how many threes did you have? 
And you, you see that you see that the difference in the style of play, the guys that are playing the power forward position like I did, they're shooting threes now. They can do what guards can do. The big guys can do what guards can do. The guards can do what the big guys can do. They can post up. Um, it, it, the, it's almost positionless basketball in the NBA. You know, you got multiple guys like Kevin Durant. You know, uh, well, obviously, let me let me say this first. There's nobody like Kevin Durant, but you got guys that are seven feet, like a Joel Embiid. You know, Jokic, who's from Serbia. These guys are knocking down threes, but they're the center position. You know, back when I came in the NBA, there was Alonzo Mourning, there was Shaquille O'Neal, there was Jermaine O'Neal, there was Tyson Chandler. These guys are ducking there at the rim, ducking the ball. They're not shooting threes, so the game has changed dramatically. It's fun to watch. The skill level is incredible. Um, you see with Dame Lillard and Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving, all these point guards, Russell Westbrook, all these guys, they're getting triple. Luka Doncic is a 6'7", 6'8", guy playing point guard. It's incredible to see where our game has gone. The skill level is tremendous. Um, I do sometimes miss old school basketball. Like I miss being able to see somebody throw it into Big Shaq, him take a couple dribbles and dunk on somebody. I miss watching that a little bit, but it is fun to see all the crazy handles, the deep three-point shots. Um, so I do, I, I do really enjoy the game still. Yeah, you you played in a time when when I mean ice ice there was not enough ice there yeah. weren't enough ice baths and, yeah. and I mean and we always needed a backup board for a shack attack you know Absolutely. yeah I haven't seen a broken black backboard in in years and you won't for a while <laughs> it's probably true but you know when when we when we research things you know you brought up something pretty um pretty intuitive of you my friend which is a good way for all of our friends here to understand why why I reached out to our, our mutual friend, Robert Height. Yeah, shout out to Rob Height, man. What's up, brother? Rob's our man. I just spent the day with plus him. Five, and man. A plus guy. Yeah, I, I watched him I watched him scrimmage today, and I broke a sweat just watching them play. I mean, I mean, I, I needed to take two showers, two showers, <laughs> um, but more of that another time. But but I mean, when you, when you talk about the last dance, that, that that's really the phenomenon. As as much as the sports change, and the reason why we're talking is because the way people are learning about the legends, like yourself, those who were there during a very very instrumental period in time. I mean, from from two thousand uh, really one right through that whole decade. That's when the urban culture of basketball was born. But the people like in Asia and parts of the world who don't have YouTube, don't have Google, can see things like the last dance provided. We didn't get to see a lot of that stuff. So there's a massive curiosity, uh, Carlos, for, for, for the role you played and how you shaped Utah's run and, and, and what that all looked like. Um, do you find people asking you questions like that more than ever before, trying to have you bring your memory banks back to the present to recount those games? Do you find that th that's the case? Yeah, it's very common. I mean, we live in a different age, like you said. That's a good point. You know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm 39. And I feel like I played just the other day, but for some of the new generation, they, they didn't really watch it at that time. They weren't watching it early 2000s. Some of these guys were just being born, you know, in 2000, you know, nine, early, late 90s or what have you. So they didn't get a chance to really experience that, that style of basketball at that time. So a lot of the interviews I am doing now is to reminisce and bring back some of that physicality, what the game style was like. Like, you know, I came in the NBA, there was Carl Malone and Kenya Martin and Amari Stoudemire and Kevin Garnett. Tim Duncan in their primes. So, you know, it was a very different style of basketball where the power forwards were legendary. They were phenomenal, but they're almost, you know, I'm talking about players that a lot of guys, you know, that are our age, of course, they know they watch that stuff, but the younger generation doesn't, didn't see them, didn't see us play. So I'm kind of giving an education on how the game has changed where, you know, guys were literally trying to get as close to the basket as possible to get a dunk or what have you. And now you see guys moving far, far away from the basket to create space to shoot that step back three or that side step three. So just, just a very different style of game. But um, I'm here for it. I'm here for all the education and the, and the, and the remembrance of all the good times. Well, man, I got to tell you, I'm really just, uh, hey, guys, give some love to, ch to the chat. Let, let Carlos know how much you appreciate him being here away from his family. Uh, away from his friends, away from likely a happy hour at some part of South Beach. Uh, <laughs> let him know. Let him know. Hey, Carlos, here, here's what's amazing. As you talk about the game and how it's changed, I also want to assert that perhaps also, too, the way athletes are coming into the sport, they're coming with a business mindset than, than an athletic one, than a competitive one. Would you agree with that assessment? Because we're going to talk about your pivot off the hardwood and into business momentarily. But, but how would you compare today's player's mindset than yesterday's mindset? Well, I mean, Jay-Z said it best on one of his rhymes. He goes, I'm a businessman. Let me handle my business. So, I mean, that's that's what the way athletes are, are are thinking. I come in, think about a Zion. Zion, you know, coming out of high school was a phenom, of course. 
the, the, one of the top players in his class, goes to Duke for one year and skyrockets. His worth skyrockets. Goes to campus, comes out of comes out of Duke and signs a, a $9,500 million Jordan uh, sneaker deal. You know, it just what LeBron did, you know, 20 years ago. Same thing. Like, I'm not saying that everybody's going to have that kind of story. That's very rare. But, yeah, you're a business. You come in, you, you handle your business right, and you become the best athlete you can on your court, on the field, whatever sport that you might play. But then also, if you're in your community, if you're well-spoken, if you polish yourself in a little bit of education, if you do some of the extra stuff behind closed doors, brands will want you to represent them. And I think, you know, I, well, I hope that the majority of these young guys are these young girls that are coming into their own as they finish high school or finish college to become professionals. They pay attention. They're getting the right tutelage because if you market yourself the right way, there's a lot of money to be made for you and your family. Now, do you, do you find that you've become a byproduct of the environment you've had, the coaches, the mentors? Because I heard a rumor that you you also grew up in Alaska. Yeah, true story. Now, now, how how would you have continued your basketball? Because I mean, I I, I live full time in Toronto. Right. I mean, I've got a son who loves playing basketball. I said, if you want to play some bounce pass stuff, we got to get grab a shovel because we got to we got to <laughs> clear the court. I mean, did what did you do? What did you do in Alaska to keep to keep your momentum strong, to keep your love and passion alive? Yeah, we moved. Um, my whole family's from Washington, D.C. And then we moved up to Alaska when I was about eight or nine. And Alaska's great, man. They love basketball up there. It's, it's a place I call home. They raised me up there. Um, I had a phenomenal you know, high school coach in George Houston, who I always give a lot of love to. But I give the love to my mom and dad first. My, my dad was that guy, just like you said, for your son. We'd go out to the court and we would shovel the snow off the court so we can get some shots up. You know, when I'm nine, 10, 11 years old, my dad was that dedicated to helping me just get better at the game that he loved. He put the ball in my hand, probably put the ball in my crib when I was born. And uh, he was my biggest advocate, my biggest fan, my biggest critic. You know, he was my, he's still my coach even today. He watched my broadcast and tell me, you know, things I can do to be a little better. Um, But that's the kind of dad I was very fortunate with my mom and dad to have great parents um, that raised me right. But yeah, to be honest with you, you know, sometimes we had to go get the shovel, shovel off some of that snow. And this is the thing. And, and, and Rich, tell, you know, you, you tell your listeners and your viewers, if you want to be great at anything, you can't be afraid of the work. That's just what it comes down to. The magic will always be in the work. And my dad taught me that at an early age. Well, no, and that's, that's amazing, by the way, Carlos. I mean, I mean, what's important for you and, and, and having the time with you, you're one of the greatest ambassadors for what mentorship means and getting coaching. And not, not just in the game, not just in the sport, not just in recovery, um, but, but in all aspects of your life. Uh, how do you, how do you, what would your advice be to anybody when it comes to learning your sport or, or, or mastering your craft by uh, soliciting the help of others? What's your, do you have a philosophy on that? Yeah, I was very fortunate, you know, my, my, right in my household, my mom and dad, you know, I was able to go to a great high school with my, my coach again. Then I went on to Duke University, played for Coach K, who's one of the best leaders of men that we had um, just in society, great leader of men. I went on to the NBA. I got to uh, play for the legendary Jerry Sloan. May he rest in peace as he just passed away about a year ago. But uh, uh, Tom Thibodeau, who's still an active coach, the head coach of the Knicks, got the coach for, you know, got to play for Greg Popovich in the Olympics. So I've been around great leaders of men, great coaches in the field that I chose to be in. Uh, my advice to anybody is, is don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, I think, you know, we're, we're sometimes we get so stuck in trying to do it ourselves, do it. There's no way I would be where I'm at today without the help of others. There's no way that any of us can reach this crazy plateau that seems like a, a far-fetched dream without the help of others, the tutelage of others, the failures. Think about all the fail times we failed and we learn from our mistakes and we grow past it. Or the wall, the you know the the mythical wall that gets put in front of us, and we got to break that wall down or jump over it or figure a way around it so we can still reach our goal. You know, so, like the, a lot of people, there's this, there's this meme that goes around Instagram that is like, you know, when you try something and you fail at it, don't change the goal. Maybe you change your approach to reaching the goal. And that's a good advice for these young kids. I mean, you're not always going to get the answer yes when you first try out for something. I think I saw this one more quick one. I saw, I read in a book or a magazine somewhere that said something about Thomas Edison or who's, who's the guy that invented the light bulb? Was it Thomas Edison or Ben Thomas Edison? Edison? Thomas, Thomas Edison. Edison. So, Wish it was my grandfather, but it was him. <laughs> so somebody said that they interviewed him and he said, you know, how did they, the question was, how did you feel, you know, 999 times when you failed to, to, to create the light bulb? And he goes, well, I didn't fail. 
I learned 999 ways not to create the light bulb. And it only took me one time to get it right. And now we have electricity in a bottle. So just remember that. Don't, don't, stop, don't stop the goal and maybe change your approach to getting the goal. No, that's fantastic. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just tremendous. You know, when, I, when, I, when I've looked at you know, what you've done with the Cavs and the, and the Jazz, the Bulls, and then up to the Lakers, I mean, the, these are all incredible franchises, huge right. brands. Um, was there something you learned from any one over another, or did you find that your experience for one franchise to the next created a, a compound effect? What was your learning experience like with them? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, I got to play for four phenomenal franchises. They're all very successful. All of them have, you know, championships, except for the Jazz. You know, they have a good team this year. Maybe they get over the hump. Um, Lake of Panthers, yeah, not trying to hear that, but they still really good. good. Um, it's for me, I think for any organization or any brand, it starts at the top with ownership. If your ownership does things the right way and holds everybody to a certain level of standard, a certain standard where this is of excellence, we, we only accept this level of this level of, of work. Like, I, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I live in Miami, I've been in Miami for almost 20 years, and I've got to know Mickey Arison, Nick Arison. The whole Arison family very well. Great family. Great family. And that's the very, so the, for those of you out there that don't know, they own the Miami Heat. And, and, and a beautiful cruise line called Carnival Cruise Lines. <laughs> Go to CarnivalCruiseLines.com and let them know that Carlos and I sent you. Absolutely. <laughs> Quick plug. Um, but, but so Mickey Arison, Nick Arison and I, Nick Arison, his son and I went to Duke together in college. So I'm very close with the family. And just to give you an example, they run a tight, tight ship. High quality, and you, you see that they hired. They hired Pat Riley, who's like the godfather of the NBA, who also runs a tight ship. They promote, they teach, and they promote Eric Spolstra, who's now in charge of the Miami Heat as the head coach. But he's been there since the day one as a as a video coordinator, so he's worked his way up through the program. And he looks the same. He hasn't aged. Never ages. They're like great jeans. Those Filipino jeans are phenomenal. So what, what I would say, what I would say is at the very top, if you run a tight ship and you you hold a standard to be here, every employee, no matter if you're the head coach and you're a high paid employee, or if you're the janitor and you're mopping the floor, you're an important employee. Number one and number two, we all have the same uh, work ethic. And once that happens, it trickles down to everybody. And that's what I learned about the four teams that I played for: the Cavs, the Jazz, the Bulls, and the Lakers. They all run a tight ship. The quality of the ownership is phenomenal. And they do a great, a great job of holding everybody accountable to doing the same amount of work, the same workload. All in. Yeah, all in. All in. And I mean, you know, I had a lot of great time with Miami Heat working for yeah. Jamal Howard in the 2011, 2012, 2013 time. He's, he's, he's all. He's By the good. way, new Big Ten coach of the year. He just got that the other day. You know that. Yeah. Talk about another story in the making. But more of that another time. But 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 on that theme, and I, and again, this is not a sports show. I'm not here to stump you. There's people here getting to know who you are, Carlos. We're all wanting to understand your narrative, your story. And if we were to do something magical with it, where would we start? Because um, it ain't certainly near an end. Uh, yeah. You got plenty of years ahead of you. But but when you think of ownership, you think of leadership. Let me ask you a very uh, perhaps a tough question: Is is what does leadership do wrong? What do they get wrong when it comes to working with guys who are driven like you? Who want, who want it, who, who are after it, who are motivated. Where do they get it wrong where they lose someone like you? They lose your love. They lose your affection. They lose the buy-in. That's a good question. It's, 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 it's a tough question, it's, it's, but it's an honest question because it happens, right? You see, you see for example, like in, in the game that I played in basketball, you'll see guys switch teams. Mm. You know, like they, they love a franchise. They give it everything they have, and then they don't want, they want to move on to something new. Maybe they're chasing championships. Maybe they, there's a relationship thing there. Um, Sometimes it can come down to assumptions, you know, something as simple as assuming that you guys are on the same page instead of having communication. I always feel like in relationships, communication is a major key to knowing what the other person wants, no matter with his business, if it's personal, if it's for whatever it might be. Communication becomes a huge key. And I think in business, it's the same way. You know, if you communicate with your employees, your employees communicate with you, you can have a great relationship for a long time. No, man, you, you're, you're good. And by the way, for those who are watching right now, this is the second the second I've done, I mean, this is our fifth season doing this. As you know, I'm a strategic partner of all things Braun Legacy. And uh, you are the second person I've ever interviewed that understands the 60-second rule. That when I'm asking you a question, you get that going, you get it done. But about 60 seconds, you wind it down to allow for a commercial break. That's, um, that's fabulous media training, my friend. I just want you to know. Um, and if you know who the first person is, let's just say we have to call her your highness. We're Ooh. talking to her. 
We're talking to her next week. So you royalty, Carlos. That's what I'm calling. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you, brother. But but that's good. Let, let me ask you something. Then how do players get it wrong? Where where is the most common thing that they mess up, that they screw up? What where is it that they overstep um, or or underdeliver given given their role? What what would a player do have to do wrong to really lose the love and affection and the commitment of ownership? Yeah, that's a great question too. I think sometimes depending on where the player is, like if the player is a top five pick in the draft and they're and they get drafted to help bring championships to our organization. Sometimes the storyline is going and you go through highs and lows and you wins and losses, playoff wins and losses, what have you. And then you fall a little short and you start thinking, man, maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. Sometimes you, sometimes the story still being written and you cut the story short. So as players, sometimes we're guilty of that because we see, you know, some of our comrades or some of our competitors or some of our, you know, friends on the other side winning championships. And we want that for ourselves so badly. So we'll leave. And we'll go to sometimes. And then at the same time, you know, again, for me, it comes back to communication, you know, being and being 100, being a buck, like being honest with each other about where we are as a franchise and where we can really take this team. If we're starting to rebuild, let me know and I'll I'll let you know if I want to be a part of a rebuild or if I want to compete for championships. Now, you look at a situation like where maybe where Kevin Durant was at when he left to go to to go to Golden State when he was in Oklahoma City, they lost to Golden State. Golden State went on to, to win the championship or what have you, and he, he loved what they were seeing. And some people gave him a lot of criticism for that move, but he just wanted to win. He felt like all the effort that he was giving and they were falling short, he wanted to go win a championship. A lot of people called him a traitor. I, I didn't see it that way. I saw like, okay, look, could he have stayed in Oklahoma City and possibly won championships at Russell Westbrook? Possibly. Yeah, possibly. That, that's, that's true. Maybe. Could have happened. Or maybe not. Maybe he would have stayed there for 15 years and like Carl Malone stayed in, in Utah for 19 seasons and had zero championships. But he's the second, people even know this, Carl Malone is the second leading scorer in NBA history. Has been like 15 all-star games, one of the best power forwards, zero championships. And he was in Utah for 19 years trying to stay loyal. Kevin Durant leaves, goes to Golden State, who has a winning environment championship pedigree and wins back-to-back championships and to be honest would have won a third championship if he would have been healthy in that last championship so i i just think it's a matter of perspective i think sometimes a story is written and sometimes as athletes we cut it short but also sometimes athletes see see a situation and an opportunity and they grab a hold of it similar to lebron think about lebron comes out of high school gets drafted by his home team in cleveland plays there he's having a phenomenal individual career Goes to the championship early, above, you know, I think ahead of time, gets swept by the Spurs, who was a dynasty of the team with, you know, Popovich, Tim Duncan, and that crew. He goes, Listen, I didn't go to college. I'm going to go down to learn from Pat Riley, again, Mickey Harrison, and, and, and that whole top match organization. They go to four finals in a row. He wins two, comes back home to Cleveland, and brings Cleveland his only championship. So I, I just think. The narrative and the perspective, the perspective of which people look at certain things, players are going to do what they think is best for them, and ownership's going to do what's best for them. Absolutely. I, I would assert if, if my pal, our good friend Drake, was listening, yeah. uh, his music wouldn't have been so good if we didn't win that championship in Toronto. That's what I got to tell him. <laughs> so He's good. Lucky. We, yeah, Raptors built him. But, um, hey, listen, a while later, by the way. That's right. But, but you see, on your point is that, is that Chris Bosch went through the same thing. Right. I mean, Kawhi's going through the same thing where right. a lot of people from Toronto are haters because they're like, hey, you should have stayed loyal. But people don't realize. And here's the point. If you're writing down uh, anything, uh, my fellow writers, is, is that is that you've got to do what's best for you. Right. right? You've got to do what's best for you. You've got mouths to feed, a legacy to build and right. a life to live. Right. Um, you agree with that, Carlos, as an athlete? hundred percent. And there's very few times as an athlete that you actually get to go home. People forget Kawhi's from L.A. He came to Toronto. He loved his time there. He gave you guys everything he, he had. You guys won a championship as a group of guys. Great ownership again. Great fans. I mean, what's it called? Raptorville or uh, what's it called? Oh, 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 Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is amazing. Uh, well, I've never been there myself, but I saw it on TV and I was blown away by that. And um, But ultimately, in his heart, he wanted to go play in front of his family, go and play in front of his, his loved ones where he grew up in, in L.A. And nobody can blame him for that. You know what I mean? So... I think ultimately you got to do what's best for you and your family. Hey, listen, uh, speaking of family and doing what's best for you and wanting to be home, I, I mean, there, there's a 
there's a really cool story about how you bought a beautiful home. If I could just kind of segue, because I want to get back. We're, we're going to end with you, uh, your legacy, your business, your plans, your family. So we're going to get there. But but you buy a beautiful house all the way in Bel Air. Yeah. And, and, and there's a story that you became a landlord in, I think it was 2004, 2005 time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you, and you had the most unusual tenant. I don't know what, this is before Airbnb. Yeah. And this is before renting properties out. But, but tell us a bit about your tenant and what that experience taught you. So I, I, I played pretty well my first two years in the NBA with the Cavaliers. And I got a, a great contract from the Utah Jazz. And I wanted to live in L.A. All my friends were out there and I wanted to experience it. Um, so I bought this incredible property in Bel Air. It was like 18,000 square feet. It had 10 bedrooms. Uh, it had like three living rooms. It was a good starter home. A good starter home. Yeah, just me and my wife. <laughs> it was, it was a, lot of, a, a lot of space, basically. And um, so I bought the house, decorated the entire house. Again, it was 18,000 square feet, decorated to the t. To the t. Then, I, then the season starts, you know, October, Halloween. I go back to Utah. I'm playing for the Jazz. My house is in L.A. So, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Utah training. We're getting ready. And my realtor, Roxanne Nelson, shout out to Roxanne. She calls me and she goes, hey, I got somebody who wants to rent your house out. I said, Rox, I've only been in the house like two, three months and I had to come back to training camp. I'm not renting my house out. So I'm like, no. It was okay. So, you know, about literally, it, it seemed like it was like 24 hours later. She calls me the next day around the same time and goes, listen, they wanted to pay you 95 grand a month to rent your house out. And I was like, huh? They don't give me 95 grand. Huh? Now that month? That's 200,000 adjusted for inflation today. That's like $200,000 today. So I was, so then, since then she got my attention. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll rent my house out. <laughs> I'm not going to be there for eight months anyway. I'm in, I'm in season. So long story short, I fly to LA to, to lock up the deal. We get to the house, limo pulls up, um, and Prince gets out the car. And I'm like, and she's like, yeah, that's Prince. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shell-shocked. You know, it's, I'm, I'm 20, what am I, 22 years old. Um, I've, I've seen Purple Rain. My parents were bumping his music all since I was a kid in the 80s. Those, those are crying. Yeah, are, yeah, I feel like, you know, it's just, I'm blown away because this guy is like a, a, a true walking icon. Gets out the car, comes over, says hello. He's a huge basketball fan, by the way. Loves, loves basketball. Loves Minnesota Timberwolves. He's from Minnesota. We, we had a whole great conversation about Kevin Garnett. He's a big Kevin Garnett fan. Um, and then so, sign the paperwork. Give each other exchange numbers, what have you. Go on. He's, I said, enjoy the house. You need anything, let me know. I fly back to Utah. I'm telling my homies, like, yo, Prince went in my house. I was crazy. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short, season advances, I get hurt. Like I tear my hamstring. So one of the best physical therapists, his name is Judy Sito. She lives in LA. I fly to LA to see Miss Judy. And she's now uh, the, the PT for the Lakers. By the way, they hired her. She's phenomenal. And so I go to, I go to see Miss, 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 Miss Judy. I call Prince and I say, hey, I'm in town. I'm going to stop by the house. Let me know if you need anything, whatever. I, I pull up to the house and I don't recognize the gate. My gate was like a 12-foot gate. It had two gold lions on the gate. I pull up to the address, and I, I, it's like a big symbol. And I don't know what the symbol is. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm into some different signs or whatever. But I didn't know what this symbol was. I'm like, if I go to the wrong address? So I go back down the street, drive around, put the address in there. I come. This is my house. So then I put the code in. The gate opens up. I'm like, okay, this is odd. I'm driving up the the, the, the street because it's like a long drive to the front door. I get it to the I get to the front door, and literally everything is purple. He has like a huge purple rug that leads from the motor court up to the front door. So I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm cool. I'm cool, but I'm not that cool either. I'm like I'm half and half right now, right? So I walk up the steps, what have you, with your pull with your pulled hamstring. Yeah, like I'm, I'm dragging my leg up the steps, right? Hobbling up the steps. I get to the front door. I, of course, I ring the doorbell, you know, whatever, out of respect. Nobody's there. The housekeeper's there. So I, I get in, and everything's different. You know, I, literally 18,000 square feet. I had brought in like a, like this white Italian rug to go all over the property. I decked out every room. I go in. The rug is gone. All the, all the carpet is gone. It's now black carpet, purple carpet, black and purple everywhere. I go into one of my bedrooms. 
Uh, he turned it into a, a hair salon with the whole thing. You know, you, you know, I don't know what you call it, yeah. but the girls know what I'm talking about. They do the thing on the hair. It's called the hair incubator. A hair incubator. Another room, he turned into a massage parlor. I was like, yo. Another, then I had a weight room. I put this fire weight room because I'm trying to get ready for the season. Fire weight room. He turned my weight room into a nightclub, like a disco ball DJ. Actually, that was pretty fire. I got to be out. He did a good job with that. It was pretty fire. You know, I never had that before. The whole room was like a nightclub. And then, uh, but basically what I'm saying, what I'm trying to tell you is he changed everything in the house. Let me just break it down for you. I decorated an 18,000 square foot home. He took everything in my house, put it in storage, ah, then redecorated the entire house. It was a one-year lease, by the way. Redecorated the entire house down to the forks. Took everything out, okay? And this, so I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm living. Like, I'm over here like, bro, I've only had the house for three months. You've lived here longer than I've lived here. So I'm, I'm calling him. He's not picking up. I'm calling his representative. She's like, I'll try to get a hold of him. Um, I'm like, yo, I'm about to sue you. Like, I'm, I'm about to sue you for messing up my house. So late in the I mean, he must have called me like at three in the morning. But I pick up because I'm up. We have late games. We have late travel. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I pick up and he's like, booze, don't worry. I'm in Japan. I'm on tour. Like, he's, <clears throat> he's promoting his album. So these, I think the album was called 3121 or something like that. That's right. So he's on tour in Asia promoting his album. He's like, booze, don't worry. I just wanted the house to feel like mine. So when everybody came over, they felt like it was my house. When I move out, it'll be like I was never there. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? I've seen the house. Like, yeah, right. So he wires me 500 grand cash to ease my mind. So I'm like, okay, I, I, you know what? Do what you want to do. It's all good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm so good. Then, yeah. So then let me just get to it. Fast forward to when his lease is up, right? I go back to the house. It was like he was never there. So let me put it in perspective for you. He was paying me basically 100 grand a month, 95 grand a month to rent my house out for a year. I got fully decorated, fully furnished, 18,000 square, like a mall, fully furnished. He took all of that, put it in storage, redecorated the whole thing, and then wired me 500K to ease my mind, and then took all that stuff out, redecorated the whole house with my stuff, put all my stuff back in like he was never there. That's how much money Prince had. Early wow. 2000s. May he rest wow. in peace. I would die for you. <laughs> yeah, legendary song. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, listen, Carlos. We're uh, for those who are here joining us, man. We are here with the legendary, the one, the only Carlos Boozer. I promised him we wouldn't keep him too long, but let me ask a quick question, uh, Carlos. I'm putting him on the spot. Would you be open to a question or two from anyone around the world here? Very absolutely. small group. Thank You're you. cool yeah, with I that. that. Yeah, um, you know, giving them uh, good personal hygiene tips, how to keep it straight, how to keep it real, uh, perhaps just how to be so damn delightful, or how to get answers <laughs> to questions in such a short period of time. Uh, I have a massive love for this guy. Um, I've done nothing but champion his cause because uh, he's the real deal. And one of the things before we get to some questions here is, Carlos, one compliment of a handful I'll give you before we leave is, is, is you're a, a true gentleman. Um, there's one thing I've come to learn of you and witness about you is that you truly are the most respectful, legendary player I've come to learn and know and get to know. Uh, you. you really are an honor to know, my friend. Rich, I appreciate that, man. All right, big guy. I'm coming up to Michael, Neil, Kai, and then Roberto. Let's go. So, Michael, just let him know where you're from. You've got Carlos right now. Carlos. I am from the from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thanks for being here. Before you start, I'm a huge Eagles fan, by the way. Ever since Randall Cunningham, just one like You know that. You know, big fan. Randall was one of my favorite quarterbacks. Him and him and Donovan. And, yeah. Uh, I'm a Syracuse guy. So, that's so yeah. I just saw Donovan about a month ago. Our kids were playing in the same tournament, basketball tournament. That's pretty cool. Well, if you see him again, tell him my wife says hi. They went to college together and actually did hang out quite some time. Some stories that I can't tell over the years. This is, this is a family show, Michael. A family show. Keep it real, okay? Come on now. I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm being real. They're all true, and we can connect. Uh, you know, Sometime in person, we can share our fun McNabb stories. But you were a two-time Olympian, and you played with some of the best players in the world. And you played with some of the top coaches of all time. What are your, would that experience mean to you? And what are the stories that you tell your kids? Yeah, great question. I mean, great question. I, I was very fortunate to uh, to make the Olympic team a couple of years in a row. 
2004, and then we got a chance to redeem ourselves. We got we got the bronze that year, and we came back in 08 and won the gold. Um, we had a, you know, our 2018 was loaded. You know, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, big brother. Uh, LeBron, J. Kidd, uh, Chris Paul, Darren Williams, Dwight Howard in his prime, Melo. Uh, we we had a loaded squad. It was coached by Coach K, my my college coach. But then we had a lot of great assistants like Greg Popovich, Jim Beheim with the zone. It was great to bring him in because we played against so much zone. But in the NBA, we weren't really familiar with zones at that time. But you know the FIBA style of basketball, a lot of people do play zone. Um, so it was, you know, honestly, we were surrounded by great leaders of men, as I like to call the coaches that I, I got a chance to play for, um, guys that had great knowledge of winning and success. And as even as a young player, you know, obviously an all-star, what have you, Olympian, you soak up all this knowledge because they've been there, you know, 30 years more than you. They've seen the Michael Jordans and the Larry Burrs and the Magic Johnson, and they've seen how they had success. And they've coached guys like that. They've coached David Robinsons and and, and, and all these legendary players, Tim Duncans and what have you. So you try to soak up all the information. And the great thing about it was it was one of those scenarios where nobody had an ego. You know, so many times in sports or in profession, you had you run into guys that had crazy egos and they, they have that mentality where like, you know, you have it's too full. You can't give them more any, any more information where everybody on the team, from the coaching staff to the players to the managers, had the, the glass has half empty mentality where we're, we're ready for more. Like, give me more. How can I become a better player? How can I become a better coach? How can I become a better manager? And when you when you put yourself in circles of like-minded individuals who love to learn, love to grow, you, you typically have great success. That's a great question. Great answer, by the way. Like, man, you, have you ever thought about writing a book? Uh, writing a book on I'm, on, writing, on... I'm writing one as we speak. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Writing one as we speak. The Bearded Brothers at it again. All right, let's get on here to Naran Kalathungam. I'm coming up to you, buddy. You've got uh, Carlos Boozy here, my friend. Hello, sir. How you doing? What an honor. Hey, nice beard. Yeah, nice hat. I got that. I I like the swag. He's also the president of the Carlos Boozer fan club, I think. (laughs) That's right. Just just so we're clear. Awesome. Uh, Carlos, uh, you have, um, I know that your faith means a lot to you because you've even tattooed on your body, uh, things about your faith. I think Philippians word on the street is Philippians 413 is on your arm. I'm interested to know how has your faith changed or has been impacted as you sat under great leaders of men? What, what has changed? Yeah. Great question. I mean, my spirituality has been embedded in me since I was born. My mom and dad used to have me always have me in church, um, having me believe something bigger than bigger than myself, bigger than us. And so I'm I'm, and I'm I'm a Christian. I do believe in God. I've been around the world and I've been a chance to spend a great time in Asia. So I've been able to learn other religions. So I have a great deal of respect for religions that already that aren't mine. You know, I, I, I studied a little bit of Buddhism and some other things, and I have a great deal of respect for those other religions. So. For me, you know, I do have Philippians 4.13 on my arm. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Um, it helped me. You know, we all go through different times where we have turbulence, so to speak. Like, you know, you're going through your journey and the stuff gets rocky. You go through ups and downs. And I really do hold on to my faith, believing that my, my positivity, thinking that things will end up being better. You know, when you're around great coaches or what have you, that sometimes they don't always see eye to eye. You know what I mean? Like if you have, a coaching staff of Coach K and Jim Beheim and Greg Popovich, and and they have a difference of opinion, so to speak. There's there's a not not necessarily saying that faith is what you know keeps them together, but there's a there's a belief that we can all work together. You know, we can all figure out a solution together. For example, like you know, we all know four plus four is eight, but also seven plus one is also eight. So even though our goal is to get to the gold medal, there's multiple ways of getting there. There's multiple ways of having success. And I think um, for me personally, I've always, you know, I've always wanted to be around people that thought differently, kind of thought outside the box. I think instead of thinking of the traditional way or having traditional X, Y, and Z, be able to to be open-minded to hearing someone else's opinion. And I've always been that type. Like, for example, my wife, like I'm Christian, my wife, she doesn't really have a religion. She believes in all types. She's very spiritual and believes of higher beings and, 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 and the universe and so much. But she doesn't necessarily say, oh, I'm a Christian or, oh, I'm a Buddhist or, oh, I'm this. 
she doesn't put herself in a box. So, and I love that about her. So I feel like it's always smart to be open-minded to other people's suggestions, open-minded to learning something new. I love that. I love that. I love that. Uh, well, you know, if there's ever a quote that someone's got to take down right now, Carlos Boozer, great man, great mass. You know, good man. I love that. I love that. All right. So I'm coming up to you, Kaya, and uh, we're going to start winding this down. I let Carlos get to his evening, uh, but you're live with Carlos right now. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for taking your time and spending it with us. We are very grateful. So I'm from Brooklyn, New York, from back mm. in the day when we would take the train into Manhattan and then go see the Nets play, the VC3, J Kid Day. So I've seen you then. So it's great seeing you here all grown up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently, but apparently he had a beard back then too. He had a beard since he was 12 years old. I heard he, you grew a beard since you were outside playing in the cold and they'll just kept you. You've never let it go since. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> and uh, Richie knows I, I'm, I, I respect the beard. Um, so my question is, is as follows to you. So coming from the vantage point of playing on a court and then playing in business and playing with superstars, realistically, you could probably almost play that same game game prince plate you are fine you don't have to work another day in your life what does it take for a person like you to say you know what i'm i'm good i'm going to retire i'm going to travel the world i'm going to spend my money i'm going to live it versus the other person who says i'm not done it's not about the money it's about mentoring it's about coaching it's about expanding my business my brand helping other people Where's that shift? What makes you that person, the one I just described, the person you are, versus your peers who would say, I'm done, I'm good, I'm cashing the check? I a great, great question, by the way. Um, Thank you. All of them have been great, but that, that was another, another great one. Uh, so I'm not cut that way. I'm not the guy. I mean, I, I am sitting on a couch today, but I'm, I'm not the guy that could just sit on a couch and just, I'm just not that guy. I like to be busy. I like to keep my mind educated. I see you have books behind you. I'm a closet nerd. I read a lot. And that's something that uh, I, I got, in, you know, got from my mom. My mom was always reading somewhere. I would come in from playing ball and I would see my mom on the couch with her tea and she'd be reading the book. So I'm a closet nerd. I love to read. I love to get educated about different things. And I'm just not the guy that can sit on the couch and not do anything. So even when I retired from playing ball in the NBA, I, was, I, I did take a, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in the gym, working out, having a schedule, six in the morning up i'm working out till you know six in the evening what have you then go spend time with my wife and my kids um and it was it was pretty cool to be able to set my own schedule not have to be in a gym at a certain time so for the first two years i did take off and just kind of enjoy uh, being retired but then i got bored you know am i financially secure my family financially yes we are you know we've been very blessed in that in that regard but i got bored so i started asking my friends like you know i got I'm very fortunate to have some successful friends who are in the same situation where they had great careers and whatever their field was and they retired. And I would ask them, like, again, going back to what me and Rich talked about, don't be afraid to ask the question. What do you got? What got you, you know, what motivated you or what, what did you guys do when you were tired? And they also got, they just figured out, you know what, like, for example, one of my friends, uh, you guys probably know, obviously know him, Alex Rodriguez, big in the business. She was like, you know, Los, you know, yeah, I wanted to retire from playing the game, but I still wanted to be close to the game. So he, he, he got into commentating. So he was the first guy that gave me the idea of getting into commentating. So, you know, I, I, I shout out to my, my agent, Gideon Cohen, phenomenal broadcast agent. If you're looking to get into broadcasting, call Gideon Cohen. So I, I reached out to Gideon, great plug, reached out to Gideon. We had a great conversation and I started doing these little interviews with ESPN and Turner Sports and different companies, CBS and different companies. And I really, really, really enjoyed Turner and I really enjoyed ESPN. So those are the two companies I wanted to work for. Right now, I'm, I'm an analyst on ACC Network with ESPN. And I love you know, covering these college kids right now. We're really busy with the March Madness. A lot of great things going on, getting a chance to meet these kids before they become pros and educate them and tutor them a little bit. But for me, I just, there's two things I wanted to do with my sons. I have, I have three sons that are, in, are teenagers. I have a younger daughter who's about to turn two in a few weeks. Um, but to my sons who also aspire to be great athletes, two of them want to play basketball and one of them wants to be a pro baseball player. I wanted to be able to retire gracefully. 
And what do I mean by that? I say that to say I wanted to be able to retire from the game I've been playing since I was four and be able to, to, to pivot into something else to teach them what to do when they retire. So, yeah, could you sit there and let your money grow on interest? And yeah, you could. Or you could build an incre incredible empire, learn a, new, learn a new skill or multiple new skills. And, you know, to segue into that, what Richard already knows, you know, I segued into business. I'm also a broadcaster. I'm doing franchises with, with, with different Popeyes and tropical smoothies and figuring out ways to help my colleagues who also played in the pro profession to continue to have the same kind of income that they had while they were playing when they retire. I'm also doing a great deal of mentorship or what have you. I just feel like as individuals, as people, we're not meant to sit still. We're always, we're constantly evolving, continue to learn more, continue to grow, read those beautiful books behind you and, can, and then, and then pass those on to, you know, your friends or your kids or your cousins or your nieces or your nephews. And that's just the mentality that I have. I just have the mentality of wanting to always learn and better myself and continue to grow as an individual. I love that. That was great. As we, uh, we get to our final question, I'll wrap it up with a couple of questions myself around business uh, and one little doozer. But, but again, if, you, if you're writing down notes, folks, Carlos Boozer, bearded since four. I mean, <laughs> it, the, the plot thickens here. Our good friend, Carlos Boozer, <laughs> legend, uh, amazing dad, great leader, an amazing conversationalist. Roberto, You've got uh, you've got Carlos here, my friend. Carlos, um, how you doing, man? Very good. My wife Lauren graduated the year that you graduated at Duke. Oh wow! Congrats! And she's a, a massive fan of yours. She's also, you know, we just had a baby, so she's not here with us. Congratulations! And uh, this is our third. And uh, speaking of that. I was talking to her and I said, I have, you know, I have this call today with Carlos Boozer. And one thing that I know over social media following you, you out of all people are the most grounded athlete oh. that I have ever met. Digital. Would then, would be, I would probably flip my mind if I would ever. I'll give you a guy. I'll give you a hug and I'll bring you a bottle of wine. I'm in wine business. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> but the question I have for you is, and this is probably toggle along Kaya's uh, message. What drives your heart to stay so grounded and so deeply in love with what you do? Because there is a lot of, uh, you know, there is a lot of your, the co-athletes out there that unfortunately took different path and they did not do the same, you know, they didn't keep the same humble way of living that you do. What really drives your heart to stay the way they are? That's yeah, the question. That's Thank a great you. question as well. And I was, like I said, I, I take it back to the beginning. For me, I, I was, I was very fortunate to have an awesome mom and dad, you know, that stayed together through all the ups and downs that they went through in their relationship. And I was able to see how they handled success. Like, so for example, when they had a lot of money, I also be able to witness them when they lost some money and they didn't, they weren't doing so well and how they, they just figured out ways to continue to stay whole. And I come from humble beginnings is what I'm trying to say. And I never got caught up in the hype, Roberto. Like, listen, it's, it's, it's cool to have your name in the paper. It's very cool to see yourself on sports center and, and getting highlights. It's awesome to be able to read about yourself, but I just I always viewed myself as just like you. I'm just like, you know, Roberto, I'm just like Kaya. I'm just like everybody on this. I'm, I just play basketball. So yeah, maybe, maybe my job gets a little bit more, you know, uh, attention, but I'm, I'm just like the, the guy that's serving me breakfast. I'm fortunate that he's serving me breakfast because I could be eating breakfast at home, but he's making it for me now. I'm going to treat him the same way I want him to treat me when I'm in my house. I, w I was raised that way. Um, I never got caught up in the hype. I'm just, you know, we're all people, no matter if you get paid millions or if you get paid pennies. Or if you don't even have a job, you know, there's a lot of people in America who are homeless. Like, we're all people. And I think the most important thing is to care about each other in that way. You know, we're all, like, I was talking to, to obviously, Robert Height, and I'm, I'm a big fan of, I have this theory, this thing where I call send the ladder back down. So, first, what, what that means is when you make it to, you know, you're making money or you're doing business or whatever, uh, send the ladder down to some of your friends to see if they want to climb up and do what you're doing. You know, send the ladder back down. Don't be afraid to help your friends out. In a, in a constructive way. And I'm not talking about giving them money. And that, that, that ends up becoming like, a, and we've all probably been there before, but 
it ends up becoming like an enabling kind of thing where you give them money, they blow through it, they ask you for money the month later. You know, you end up, you end up enabling them. What I mean is, it, like, I get educated, I learn something from Richard, and I, and I pass it on this, to one of my friends. Hey, this is what I learned from Richard, this is what I learned from Roberto. This is what I learned from this book that I read, that me and Kaya read. This is a great book for you. To, by the way, a great book I'm, I'm reading again is called The Power of Now. If you guys are into like, you know, going inside yourself and learning more about yourself that you already have to get inside. Great book. Anyway, I'm big on sending the ladder back down and whatever I learn, I pass on to my friends. I pass on to my kids. I'm teaching my oldest son right now about finances. I got them all checking accounts so they can learn about checks and balances. You know, you had you had 200 bucks in your account. And now you have $2. Well, because you spent too much. And, you know, did you really need that shirt or did you really need? Well, now you got to be able to budget that. So I, I'm, these are the things that education systems, schools, these private schools that I've been sending my kids to, they don't teach our kids about checks and balances, about taxes. Like when you first get your first job, who is FICA? Well, FICA is the person that took all of our money for the government. But like all these different things that as parents, we have to teach our kids. And so I just feel like, uh, don't read the hype. I don't, however big you are, you know, however popular you get on social media, it doesn't matter. We're all people. Just be genuine, care about that somebody else. I'm a, also, I'm a big believer in, in, in karma. I believe what you put out comes back to you. If you put out good deeds, it'll come back to you fourfold. And if you put out negative deeds, it'll come back to you that way too. Just be a good person. Now, we all know right from wrong. Be a good person. Stay humble. These are things I think uh, that I've that's been embedded for me from my parents, and I'm teaching that to my kids. But one way you got to teach to your kids is how are you every day, your actions on a daily basis. And so I know my kids are watching me constantly. My daughter's constantly watching me. My sons are constantly watching me. You have to be able to do it by your actions on a daily basis. And so that's what I try to exude. That's what I try to, I try to teach people. And that's what I'm trying to teach my sons and my daughter. I love that, man. I love that. I've got two final questions for you. A round of applause. Of course. Absolutely. I saw that. Roberto. Absolutely. Carlos, you deserve all this. You know, I will say, I will say something before I ask the question about business and why you set up the kids to be financially literate, capable, confident, responsible. I mean, I want you to really get this. And I know that your team's listening as well, is that the quality of questions is, is only present when there's a quality of inquiry. And because of the fact that there's a real curiosity about you, is it because they're curious, but because there's an absolute mutual love that's expressed here? And I want you to know that having uh, interviewed, I mean, dozens of athletes, and I'm super blessed. It's an absolute miracle that I'm in the position I'm in, because I mean, lots of people would love to be where I am. Um, you should really get that compliment, that, that, well, that the questions coming is as a result of the, of the man that's present. So, so absolutely, thumbs up to you. Um, to tell me about what business means to Carlos Boozer now, because because we listen to to the to your Carlos Karma fundamentals. We, we we think about the importance of sending a ladder down and one that works. We we understand what it means to think outside the box. But but why is business such a huge keystone, a cornerstone in in Carlos Boozer's legacy right now? Yeah, for me, it's about freedom, right? So it's not necessarily about the the, the, the dollar bill, so to speak, or the currency. It's about having the freedom to be able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And not for me. Like, I, I made enough money where I can live the rest of my life and be as free as I want. It's for my kids and my kids' kids. We call that generational wealth. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to do is build an empire for generational wealth, for generations to come after me and after, after them and after so on and so forth. And so that's why business is so important. There's so many people that came before us that had so much success in business and I'm reading books on it. I've got partners who are more educated about certain things than I am. And I want to be, like I said, about being around great coaches and being a sponge. I'm a sponge around people who have more knowledge about me in business. Like for example, you know, Richard and I talking about this now, we'll be talking about business tomorrow, you know, who knows? And all you guys as well, it's always, it's always be open-minded to be able to learn and being in a room or someone where you're not the smartest guy, you know, be okay with walking into the room and being like, okay, I'm in a room He's successful. She's successful. They're successful. I want to be successful in their fields and learn from them and why they, why, what made them so successful, you know? Um, and that's the kind of mentality I have. I, I want to continue to, to give it to my kids and give it to my, my siblings and my nieces and my nephews and my friends. And again, send the ladder back down, but you got to be open mind. You got to be humble enough to say, I don't know. I don't know enough. I want to learn more. And I have that mentality because I, I really want to build the empire of generational wealth for 
generations to come. I love that. That's, that's, that's what I call legacy thinking, legacy living, legacy leading. And if, as my grandfather would say, if you're going to rob a bank, make sure it ain't broke. I mean, <laughs> you get into the rooms with wealthy people, wealthy in mind, you know, power is proximity and it's all very good. Last question before I let you get back to all things important to you right here in Miami um, is, is, is what is it that Carlos hasn't done yet for himself? That if money wasn't the object, if, if failure wasn't even a possibility and, and you know, you couldn't fail at it, what would you love to do that you've yet to get done? Wow. That's a powerful question. Um, well, it's for a, it's for a man with a powerful beard. How, like, how am I supposed to wrap this up, man? <laughs> Great. Qu- I mean, it's crazy, but as a parent, I don't know how many of you guys out there are parents, but you think about your kids for, I think about my kids coming to me right away. Like, you know, what would I want to teach Bloom, Harmony, Cameron, and Caden? What would I want to pass on to them? Um, the first thing would be helping people. You know, if you're in a position to help people, help them. You know what I mean? Because, they, you know, like, I, for example, I'll give you an example. Um, I can't remember where I was at. I was snowboarding. Oh, by the way, snowboarding has been like my biggest, my biggest uh, escape since, since playing ball. Like it's been my favorite sport since I retired snowboarding. So um, I went snowboarding. And I put my bag down, you know, I had, I didn't have my wallet, but I had like some, some loose cash in there, maybe like a GoPro so I can record some of the stuff I'm trying to be cool at snowboarding or whatever, <laughs> what have you, and a computer and my, my bag was stolen. And so, you know, my son was like pissed. He was, he was, he was furious. Like, well, you know, why, why would somebody sell your bag? But, and I said, you know what, son, they probably needed it more than we did. You know, I can go to Apple tomorrow and buy a computer. I can go to the GoPro store and got, buy a GoPro. I can you know, go to the ATM where I'm, I'm in a, a portion situation where I can go get some more cash. Some people don't have that opportunity right now. You know, it's a pandemic out there. People are losing jobs. People are getting fired. People are struggling. You got to always be able to keep stuff in perspective. Like ultimately, you know, I, I, I help people. If you can help people, help people. Um, but to get back to your question on a selfish, a selfish answer for me but to be honest, is just travel the globe, man. I just, I love traveling. I, it fuels my heart. Like I love being able to explore other cultures, learn from, learn other um, languages, eat different kinds of food, see scenery that I've never seen before. You know, I know that this pandemic has us all kind of in a box where we can't really go where we want to go. Especially as an American, we have the most COVID cases right now. So now a lot of countries aren't allowing us in their country. So we're kind of in a box. I'm sure some of you guys are in that same kind of box that I feel right now or that we feel right now. But I would love to just on a selfish level, I would love to be able to travel to every country in the world. That's what I would do if money wasn't an issue, if failure wasn't an option, if I didn't have to worry about diseases or I would just go to every country, try every kind of food. And for me, it's about the experiences. I would just experience as much as I could. Well, you say you start talking about diseases. This is not that kind of conversation, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. I mean, hey, listen, man, um, you know, so grateful for you. I, I've gotten a lot from you. I mean, um, understanding that you are one of the most astute, well-learned individuals I've come to learn of and have a chat with. You are ruthlessly responsible for the way you communicate yourself and the impact the words you speak leave on people. I want you to know that I know that you're not doing this alone. You're doing it for your three sons and your little angel, your girl, because you know that intergenerational wealth transference is likely the greatest opportunity you can, in fact, bestow upon them. You're thinking not for them. You're thinking about their children's children. And that for you is quite a selfless leader. As my friend uh, over one Scotch Too Many, Eckhart Tolle once wrote, is that when you're thinking about a thousand generations from now, you're living in the present. And my friend, you embody that. When I think about what you're going to do next with all the business that you're up to and the things we're going to discuss uh, with our good friend, uh, Height, I mean, one of the things that makes me uh, really light up for you is the fact that whatever we're going to do, we're going to make it an adventure. We're going to make it unpredictable and we're going to make it disease-free. So <laughs> absolutely, I want to make sure that you know that uh, from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of Braun Studios, Braun Legacy, uh, all things cool and amazing, uh, we thank you. We love you. We got you. And uh, we're grateful for your time, Carlos. Thank you so very much for being with us around the world. Thank you guys for your time as well, man. Guys, enjoy your weekends. Have fun, be safe, and make memories. Carlos, be well, man. I'm going to see you soon, okay? You too, brother. Thanks for tuning in to Courageous Conversations with Richard Dolan. 
We're on all the major podcast platforms, and we appreciate your support by reviewing us. You can follow our show at The Rich World on many social media channels. We hope that listeners like yourself enjoyed this episode, and remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or whatever other streaming services are available, because we cannot wait to bring you more valuable content that can make a difference in your life.